There in the window was the face of a tiny little man, just peering in at me. He had a little beard, pure white, and had a green pointed little hat sitting askew on his head. I would guess that he would have only been around two feet in height, which was baffling to me as I was on the second floor of the house. I just sat there totally astonished. The little man tapped on the window again and smiled, and I didn't get an evil or sinister feeling from him. He seemed almost like he wanted to play. Then he waved and seemed to step away from the window, although I don't know how because it was nothing but a sheer drop to the ground. I was so curious that I went to look outside again and this time he was gone and did not come back. From mysteriousuniverse.org folks out there in the hinterlands. It's Rockin' Max. As always, we're going to be your guides as we explore the forgotten pathways in search of all things supernatural here at Nightmares and Daydreams, y'all. Hey, everybody. Glad y'all could join us today. Mm-hmm. Going to be a fun one. But before we delve into today's episode, we'd like to ask that you guys continue to support our little pod by liking, following, sharing, all that. We like to make y'all do all the work. Mm-hmm. We do nothing. No, but seriously, please, gang, continue granting us the boon of that sacred and oh-so-important five-star review. Mm-hmm. And if you can say a few kind words for your boys as well, that would be amazing. Max speaks true, gang. It's because of you that our pod is growing. We really do appreciate y'all. And now, back to the paranormal shenanigans. As always, Rock and I are going to discuss and debate all things paranormal, legendary, and monstrous. Monsters. <laughs> and of course, fun. Max, my man, we never forget fun. But that said, do you want to know what's not funny? Clueless. I'm utterly <laughs> clueless, <laughs> Then Rock. I'll clue you in, amigo. How about this? Little men wearing pointy red hats knocking on your windows in the wee hours, smiling devilishly, and inviting you out to play. I mean, do they ride foxes? Are their names David? (laughs) Friendliest gnome ever. Though, honestly, the gnome in the opening story seemed fairly friendly. Yeah, man, definitely cut from the same cloth as David the gnome. We can't forget Swift, y'all. Man, I love that show so much growing up. Same here, man. And our 80s kids will know that that show is based on The Secret Book of Gnomes by Dutch author Will Huygen. Huygen. So classic. Yeah. (laughs) Huygen, Huygen. (laughs) (laughs) I think there was a book he wrote before that simply called Gnomes. That's a good title. That was the one I read. I was, you know, before it was cool. Of course, you were always you were way before the pack, even when you were like five. <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, exactly. gnomes. I read gnomes, which was way before. But before we get too far into <laughs> before we get too far into this, let's make sure that we and our listeners know exactly what we're talking about. You got to pay attention, Maxie. We're talking about gnomes, <laughs> y'all. Right, right, gnomes, but. 
I mean, what do we mean by gnomes? Are we talking about any diminutive fae-type creatures? Are we talking about specifically Scandinavian underground-dwelling people mm, that question. are the opponents of trolls and wear red conical haps? 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 <laughs> he said yeah, haps. They wear, they wear haps, yeah. yeah. I mean, it seems to me that Huygens was conflating a few things, at least in his work, but could be in the gnomes book, he lists words for gnomes in various languages. And for the Scandinavian languages, he lists variations of Tomta or Nisa. And, you know, that totally fits with his depiction. Actually, Nisa or Tomta, whichever you use, are basically the same thing. Diminutive yeah. people, as you say, you know, from Nordic folklore with long white beards and bright colored conical or knit caps. In English, we don't often talk about Nisa or Tomta, though. We tend to use the other terms, goblin, hobgoblin, or brownie, or hell, even sometimes elf. Even though, yeah, I think Scandinavian elves might be a different thing. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're totally different. And there's something that kind of evolved over time, and now we're pretty much thought of as like invisible nature spirits, you know, like in Iceland. Like, yo, don't build that road over there because there's, there are elves there. And exactly. It's not going to yeah, work, the, you know. The Haldi folk, yeah. Mm -hmm. But let's get back to gnomes. Okay, so like you say, the English translation varies quite a lot depending on the author. And I think sometimes things are conflated. You know, we tend to think of things in D&D &D terms where they take each name of something and make it a totally different thing, but and these things were often, thing. often yeah. used inter interchangeably in real life. But mm -hmm. um, Such as gnomes, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, Maxie, so where did the word gnome come from? Well, you know I love my etymologies. I know you like looking on Wikipedia, players, so come on. <laughs> Just joking. The, you so do the, love English, that. <laughs> the English word gnome originally comes from the Greek. From ancient Greek, uh, gnome, which means thought or opinion, which comes from the verb gignosko, to know. Hmm. One second, man. There are Greek gnomes? Well, not really, although I guess the Kalikansaros, which some listeners will remember from our Spirits of Christmas episode. I remember those guys. description in a lot of ways. But the Greeks never use the word gnome for such people that I know of anyway. Mm -hmm. The word was created much later, actually in the Middle Ages, by Paracelsus, I believe. Oh, uh, yes, them Greek Christmas goblins that come down the chimneys. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. you know, but people started applying like the term to different little folks, like of all sorts, right? Exactly. I mean, I think he used it in the context of a kind of homunculus. So, a created being made by an alchemist, yeah? I think so, but any of you history of alchemy experts out there, please correct us if we're wrong. Let us know, nerds. <laughs> Great. You know, now we're going to get flooded with all the calls and emails from all those alchemy experts out there. <laughs> Where Nicholas Flamel? Of course, I don't know what <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a popular field of study, right? You know, Maxie, I don't think you're 100% right about that, though. Maybe like 500 years ago it was popular. <laughs> <laughs> How so, though? Well, you know, hey, OG Folklore's Catherine Briggs says it a bit differently. Hey, I mean, 
She's like one of my favorite folklorists. Exactly. So I know she says in her encyclopedia, fairies, hobgoblins, brownies, bogeys, and other supernatural creatures. She needs a longer name for that book, but I do love that book. What does she say about gnomes? So she says, and I quote, these cannot properly be classified as fairies, goblins, bogeys, or even imps. They belong rather to dead science than to folk tradition. They are members of a very small class consisting of four, the four elementals, gnomes, sylphs, salamanders, and nereids, who belong to the four elements, earth, air, fire, and water. Man and mortal creatures were made up of these four elements, variously compounded, but the elementals were pure, each native to and compounded of its own element. This was the hermetic and neoplatonic doctrine and all medieval science and medicine was founded on it. The first description of gnomes as the elementals of Earth is to be found in Paracelsus and his De Nymphis, 1658. Okay, so I was right that Paracelsus used it, but it wasn't a homunculus. It was actually an elemental Earth dweller. Word. Good thing you brought this up so that the swarms of alchemical scientists out there won't need to leave scathing messages for us. Yeah, yeah. Calm it down, everybody, and keep trying to find that gold. <laughs> it's a relief, man. You know, But it seems that the gnomes of alchemical science became conflated with earth-dwelling spirits or peoples of a more fade nature later on, though. In any case, that's how we're using the term. Exactly. Okay, y'all, so what we're talking about, basically, are little people, typically, though not exclusively, of Scandinavian or Northern European origins which, you know, who are often bearded, rather. Yeah, and in Huygens' book, they're kind and homely little people. They're like hobbits. Yeah, exactly. Which fits the British hobgoblin or brownie idea. Ooh. But as we shall see, gang, they're not always nice. Mm -hmm. Even though the gnome in the opening story seemed like a nice, you know, David-esque gnome, there are many tales of people encountering gnomes that have a decidedly darker aspect to them. Max ain't lying, y'all. They get a little creepy. And, you know, being accosted by creepy gnomes ain't no fun at all. Would you call them nature spirits? You know, I imagine some folks would. They do seem to be encountered in the wild quite often. You know, not really a whole lot of urban gnomes out there, right? <laughs> or so you think. Everybody, y'all see any city gnomes out there in your area wearing black leather jackets, rocking the switchblades? If so, please <laughs> let us know. All right, Maxie, listen, man, why don't you tell us a tale of a gnome that mayhap wasn't so friendly? All right, I got one. Something darted behind a tree trunk kept watching, thinking, maybe it was a wallaby or something. Boy, was I wrong. I looked back at my daughter, and then absent-mindedly looked around again at the tree trunk, and there was a gnome. That's the only way I can describe it. It was a type of tiny person, maybe 30 centimeters tall. What is the most unbelievable is that it really was like a garden gnome. Red hat, rosy cheeks. I remember it had darkly colored lips. It was looking at me with what I can only describe as a malevolent look. 
it looked evil. I saw it for about five to ten seconds before something caused me to quickly look back at my daughter. And when I looked back, the gnome was gone. I immediately took my daughter home. I suffered terrible anxiety and nightmares after. I had this fear that the gnome hitched a ride with us home and that it was constantly watching me from around corners, moving items around the house. Definitely one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if my mind created the image of the gnome or what, but what I felt was not friendly. From Redditor Beck, 1990. Note that last line, y'all. She felt that the gnome was decidedly not friendly. And Beck's obviously from Australia. Could you tell that because of my accent? It was perfect. <laughs> no. I, I know. It was the wallaby, right? Yeah, because it's a gnome fact that wallabies are from Australia. <laughs> did you say gnome fact? Did I? You're ridiculous, dude. Wallabies. Australian for squirrels. That's true. Actually, technically. actually i'm not sure that's even close to being correct but to play devil's advocate for a second the gnome didn't really do anything malevolent did he at least that we know of you know i mean i think it's wise for people to trust their feelings regarding these sort of things it's not for nothing like we say man that we have this sixth sense gang listen to it i don't know I know personally, my feelings are not in any way trustworthy. (laughs) Speak for yourself, man. And I'm not going to recommend to our listeners that they ignore their instincts and try to make friends with supernatural beings, because that hardly ever works out. I mean... Contrary to all the supernatural romance novels out there, gang, like, (laughs) How else are our peoples ever going to become close? Then you can be our emissary, man. See how that works out for you. (laughs) (laughs) On second thought. (laughs) And moving on, gang. All right, Max, so what do you know about Los Duendes? I haven't heard of them, but I'm going to hazard a guess based on the way it sounds that it's some sort of Spanish or Latin American gnome. Good guessing. Yeah, and they are similarly small beings of Iberian lore, but also found in the Americas. I mean, it makes sense that similar lore would bridge the Atlantic to Latin American countries. Are they like Scandinavian gnomes at all? They are, uh, but they're more mischievous or impish in nature, typically, at least going by the stories. But some posit that they live underground as well, which matches their northern cousins. And duendes are not to be confused with duende, which is a term used by flamenco guitar players, which is something (laughs) completely different right there. Gnomes, guitar players, pretty much the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they all get the ladies, right? (laughs) <laughs> so what's up with the uh, duendes? They gnomes that play guitar or what? They, yeah, they play flamenco guitar, Max. You get it right. I'm sorry. <laughs> i got to be specific. Okay, let's focus. Our non-musicians out there are getting annoyed. As well as our non-gnomes. Gang, so Los Duendes, according to Texas folklorist David Bowles, were created by the Mayan and Aztec god Tlaloc, the god of thunder, lightning, and rain. Dang. That's like the Central American version of Thor. They do have a lot of the same powers, Thor and Tlaloc. Throwing down the lightning, unleashing storms, that sort of thing. 
but Tlaloc created the Duendes and other small creatures to help him and to be his servants and whatnot. It's like he can't be bothered with every flood, so he gets his servants to help him unleash the storms when it's that time. Creator gods making beings to serve them? Tale as old as time. <laughs> also, some scholars posit that the legend of Los Duendes stem from the Iberian Peninsula, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, yep. Makes sense to me. That's why I said earlier it's from the Iberian area as well. Oh, yeah. But, Maxie, speaking of some tales, man, let's get into one involving Los Duendes, shall we? Do tell. Beware. My Mexican mother used to tell me if I made a fuss about going to bed. He's out there waiting for the right moment. El Duende will take you away in the middle of the night to his cave in the middle of the forest. He'll keep you there and no one will know because you'll be deep in the forest where no one can hear you scream. Anyway, I was told about the Duende since I was a little kid. But when I went to Marfa with my boyfriend, I started having really bad dreams little creatures or people. I don't know how to describe them, but they were chasing me. They were small and had red eyes and tiny hands and feet with sharp nails. I dreamed of them almost every night, starting when we first moved into our new house. I would wake up drenched in sweat every night. Finally, on the third night, my boyfriend woke me up yelling, what's going on? What happened here? I look at where he's pointing and the sheets are filthy with dirt and leaves from the yard and my feet are dirty too. Were you outside? He asked me. And I tell him that I dreamed the creatures were chasing me outside the house. He said, I don't think you were dreaming. We were so glad that that was the last night of our so-called vacation. I never experienced those dreams again. And I still don't know if they were real or what. Freaky. And it seems like there was definitely something more than a dream going on there. I mean, like, her sheets were filthy, right? For sure, man. I mean, Max, can't do much better than actual physical evidence. There were dirt. Her feet were dirty. There was grass on there. She was out there frolicking with the gnomes, man. Show us that. Too true. Pretty scary, though. I wonder what was happening. Like, were they chasing her and tormenting mm. her? Maybe a little of both, man. Good question. But sadly, you know, or maybe happily, I guess we're never going to know because, as we like to say, sometimes ignorance is bliss, gang. I mean, hopefully, because I don't want to know what would have happened for us to find out what their intent was. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just playing chase. Who knows? <laughs> they're playing tag. Flashlight tag. <laughs> exactly. Outside in Marfa. We're going to go see the Marfa lights and we're going to play chase. That sounds like a fun night with gnomes right there. <laughs> So how about we hear a more traditional story about gnomes, a.k.a. Nisa. And this particular niece or gnome was a prankster, too. Hmm, nice. So that is something that crosses cultures right there, that prankster aspect. Interesting, man. Let's hear it. It is said that it's very difficult to get rid of a gnome. A man who lived in a house in which a gnome carried his pranks to great lengths resolved to quit the tenement and leave the thing there alone. Several loads of furniture and most of his other possessions were already gone, and the man had come to take away the last, which consisted chiefly of empty tubs, barrels, and things of that sort. The load was now all ready, and the man had just bidden farewell to his house and to the gnome, hoping for comfort in his new habitation. 
when happening from some cause or other to go back to the back of the cart. There he saw the gnome sitting in one of the tubs in the cart, plainly with the intention of going along with him wherever he went. The good man was surprised and disconcerted beyond measure at seeing that all of his labor had been for naught. But the gnome began to laugh heartily, popped his head up out of the tub and cried to the flustered farmer, <laughs> We're moving today, you see? They're right, man. Gnomes are hard to get rid of. Trixie gnomes. Absolutely unrepentant. You know, Maxie, but not all gnomes are so unrepentedly mischievous. I feel like you've got a specific instance in mind. I do. Check it out. The story is told of a Danish gnome who had established himself in Jutland. And every evening after the maid had gone to bed, he used to go into the kitchen to eat a bowl of porridge, which the maid would leave for him. Now one evening he sat down to eat his usual supper with a good appetite, pulled the bowl over to him and was just beginning to have a comfortable meal when he discovered that the maid had forgotten to put any butter into it for him. At this he flew into a furious rage, erupted from his seat in a passion and went out to the cow barn where he twisted the neck of the fattest cow there. But as he felt himself still very hungry, he stole back again to the kitchen to take some of the porridge. And when he had eaten a bit of it, he discovered that there was in fact butter in it, but that it had sunk to the bottom under the porridge. He was now so distraught at his injustice toward the maid and indeed the cow that to make good on the damage he had done, he went back to the cow barn and set a chest full of money by the side of the dead cow where the family found it the next morning and by means of it became quite well to do. Poor fatty cow. Mm-hmm. Show us that. It's a shame. Steaks and burgers all around. I mean... I do like a steak, but I still feel bad for that sweet cow. But was that cow really sweet? Maybe that cow was the biggest jerk because he was the fattest cow. <laughs> he, he took all the hay. <laughs> Ate all the damn hay. Slept on the best hay. That was just the worst cow ever. All right, Maxie, man, but to the point, you know, the gnome felt bad and he was pretty repentant. I suppose so, but he only made good to the human family. What about the cow family? All right, once, once again, you're focusing too much on this cow, man. <laughs> but, I mean, hey, we don't know, but maybe he left some nice extra clover for the cow's family. Who knows? I should, I should hope so. All right, dude. Well, this is on a rather weird note, but uh, <laughs> I think we've about wrapped it up, yeah? Poor cow. Yeah. Next, the cow episode. All right. Exactly. We're going to go into that poor fat cow that uh, was deliciously we'll do barbecued. do a deep delve and like <laughs> research what happened to the cow family. That's the big question. <laughs> we love and appreciate you people. And if you appreciate us too, why not head on over to buymeacoffee.com and search Nightmares Podcast. 
for an invigorating one-time donation. It's so invigorating. It helps us keep the lights on here at Nightmares and Daydreams. And even more importantly, it keeps us ever so happy. And caffeinated, as we like to say. And guys and gals, speaking of supporting the pod, head on over to patreon.com forward slash nightmares podcast for some extra content. Tears start a buck a month. You can cancel any time. We continually add new content and new music by the great and powerful Teresa Joy. Speaking of the best bard in the business, <laughs> Teresa Joy is one of those rare bards of the College of Podcasting. That's in the Xanathar's Guide, I think. Either that or Volo. I forgot. Dang. You made a 5e joke, Rock. <laughs> yep, I love making jokes. Hey, gang, Teresa gives us that amazing sound so many of you have commented on. Find and follow her at Vilebright on Facebook and the Gram. And check out her own website at TeresaJoyMusic.com. And please, y'all, head on over to whatever podcatcher you listen to us on and grant us the boon of that five-star review. It's so important. Or thumbs up or whatever your podcatcher does. And of course, share our podcast, gang. Help get us out there. Like we say, gang, share us like a fine paranormal doobie. <laughs> also, join us on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Apotamus, because you know we'd love to hear from y'all. And finally, gang, don't forget to head on over to our own damn website at nightmarespodcast.net to holler at your boys, scroll down, see the wolves, and send us your personal stories. So, ladies and gentlemen, as always, be good to each other and... Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.